0: Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company,
1: Golden, Colorado. Hello and welcome to episode 76 of the Equalizer Podcast. I'm Chelsea Bush. With me is John Halloran. And we're here to talk about all things NWSL, but first and foremost, the playoffs, because they are, are rapidly approaching. So, to give a quick rundown as of today's game which was this is being recorded on sunday so that was the chicago sky blue game standings are north carolina chicago portland and then utah the rain are right behind utah tied on points but still in fifth place washington houston sky blue orlando so john before the call you said that the playoff race looked a little clearer why don't you kind of take that
0: well i think that chicago picking up three points tonight so that puts them seven points ahead of both utah and the rain Um, who both have four games left, which means that they would both need to pick up either three wins or two wins and two draws to top Chicago on points. Um, I'm actually not sure where they're at with the tiebreakers with those teams, but that I think what what we saw with North Carolina winning yesterday and Chicago winning today is probably both of those teams are in. Uh, Portland certainly has a leg up because they have five more points than Utah in the rain. Uh, But I think what we saw this weekend is that we're looking at either Utah or the rain and probably not both.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of been kind of in my thinking all along. I've kind of, I'd always said there was a top tier of teams, a top three, and then it was just going to be that last spot. Um, To me, one thing I find interesting too, is that, Portland at one point looked, you know, they had a pretty clear lead in first place. I think at one point they went four or five points um, clear, and now they're actually in third. And, you know, I'm I'm looking at the schedules of Chicago and Portland. Portland is two points behind Chicago, but have three games left to play, where Chicago has two. Um, But I I just, I think that could go either way. And you really look at uh, the Chicago-Utah game and then the Portland-Rain game as ones that could really determine, I think, if Portland even ends up hosting a, a, a semifinal.
0: Yeah, it got, um, it, it definitely got a lot more competitive, you know, and Chicago had a big week in that, um, you know, even though they were playing Orlando and Sky Blue, those weren't guaranteed points. I mean, the Orlando game, they, they almost drew, um, they, they won that, I think, in the 95th minute. And um, even tonight, beating Sky Blue, Sky Blue uh, had beaten them both times before. So um, those were those were big six points that they picked up this week. And then the other match coming up, actually, the next uh, the next matchup for Utah and the rain is against each other. So that's a huge game.
1: Yeah, for sure. So and that's interesting too because Utah's coming off was probably a little bit of an upset at Houston, um, Chicago barely, like you said, barely beat beat Orlando, and then Portland got absolutely spanked by North Carolina in the midweek game. So you kind of see most of these teams sort of having this sort of bounce back and forth sense of form. Um, I guess we maybe start with that Portland and, and North Carolina game because that just, that was shocking to me. I don't know if there's any other word for it.
0: Well, I mean, I think we all kind of know that when North Carolina is playing their best, that they are capable of those type of results, that they just have so much firepower. You, know, you saw even, even last night with um, you know, them starting Williams and Hamilton, and Hamilton's been absolutely incredible this season. She gets hurt very early on, and they bring Jess McDonald off the bench. They've got a World Cup forward on their bench that they can just bring into the game. And Mewis didn't play either last night. So, you know, you just see like they have so much talent that, um, you know, those types of wins uh, are possible. I think the fact that that happened against Portland in Portland uh, certainly makes it a little bit more surprising, but even the final last year, you know, North Carolina really, really handled Portland um, in their, in their stadium. So, I think we all know that North Carolina has that ability when they're
1: firing. yeah, for sure. and to put up I mean twelve goals and to concede only one and a span of how many days, you know it's just yeah it's it's insane to me. I, yes, I granted one of those is against Orlando whose defense has been leaky all season, but still it's not like they' Orlando's giving up six goals every game. I mean, that's still impressive. And so and now they're they're two points clear on, in first place. Do you think we're we're seeing them sort of pick up steam and and really peak at the right time as far as the shield and the playoffs go? You know,
0: it, it feels that way. But um, it was funny because our friend Richard Farley had commented when the international when the last international break started how it was hitting at such a bad time for Portland because Portland was in their group. Uh, We we saw earlier this season Chicago go on a five or six game win streak and then lose three straight. So this whole season has has been incredibly streaky, you know, whether that was injuries, slowing teams down or uh, the World Cup absences. But teams have been all over the map this year, Um, which, again, for, you know, for neutral observers is fun because you get to watch um, all these kind of crazy results, even as you mentioned Utah losing to Houston is I don't think something most of us would have expected um, to happen. So um, I'm not sure if – I mean, I think North Carolina, obviously, in their last two games has has picked something up. But whether or not they can sustain that because we're looking at, what, five weeks left um, until the final is is a big question.
1: Yeah. And, of course, there's another international break in there Mm -hmm. as well, which can always just unfortunately really – change the trajectory of a team season but hey i'm glad you mentioned the utah houston game but let's go back to that because i found that very interesting in the sense that i don't necessarily think that utah was really really bad and i don't think that houston was really really good i think it was more a matter of one team you know taking their opportunities and their chances and another team maybe being the rules were maybe slightly sluggish but i still saw you saw a good combination between rodriguez and press which is something that i think they've Finally, since the World Cup slowly been improving on and I didn't see, like I said, I didn't see a team that was necessarily thoroughly outplayed. It was just almost kind of a sense reminded me of the Chicago Sky Blue game and that the other team wasn't, you know, Sky Blue wasn't terrible, but Chicago very much put away all their chances. And then once they got those two early goals, just controlled it from there on out.
0: Yeah. and You know, it's been surprising, though, because what we have seen out of Houston a lot this year is is them kind of not playing a complete match. You know, there's been a lot of games this year where they've played 60 minutes um, and then kind of fallen apart over a third of the game. So for them to pull that out and, you know, I think all of us, well, most of us probably expected Utah to, to come out of there, especially that being kind of a must-win game for them.
1: Yeah, for sure. And maybe maybe that's something. Maybe they thought they were going to come out of there pretty well, yeah. you know, and especially given that Houston's form at home has been particularly poor uh not not only this season but every season really they've never been a, a really strong home team and, and as you said they've struggled with their finishing so the fact that they're the team taking advantage of their chances um is a little bit flipping the script on its head a little bit but if you're if you're Laura Harvey in the Royals do you are you concerned about that game or you just say hey, you know what everyone has a downtime.
0: Well, I think you have to be concerned because you gave it away. But at the same time, you, you obviously have to turn your focus to this rain game because that might be your season. Um, you know, they, they don't have another easy game left um, with rain, North Carolina, Chicago and Houston. Their four remaining games, I think the rain have an easier final four weeks. They play Utah, then they go sky blue. Portland, Orlando, and Sky Blue and Orlando, you know, those are definitely winnable games. Um, so I think the rain have an easier easier way in at this point. You know, it's kind of funny, um, when Utah was in Chicago a few weeks ago and had lost, um, it was surprising to see how down Laura Harvey was at that point. And um, I'm sure that she felt similarly after losing to Houston, because that was a game that they really needed something out of.
1: Yeah, and, and other games that people needed something out of was were the Rand and, and Washington splitting points last night. I think both of those really saw that as as a must-win. Washington in particular, they're still mathematically in, but you're you're looking at you know five points out with a handful of games left to play. They they have only played 19 games, is the least game of any so far. So the, Washington has some some room to make up, but. That, that's some hard ground to cover. And then for the rain, that could have put them back in a playoff position. So, you know, they, they did uh, escape with a point at the very, very end. Washington took the lead, I think, in the 90th minute, and then the rain equalized in stoppage time. Um, so at least they got a point out of it rather than dropping all three, but that has to be disappointing just because you consider, I, I think that was probably another one that, kudos to Washington for, for improving, but that still could have been, I think, a, a winnable game for the rain. I think there's probably a, a line you could draw underneath those top five teams to the lower five teams.
0: That was a wild finish too. I mean, you know, Washington had to feel like they, they won that game. Um, and then to watch the rain come right back. Oh uh, well, yeah. And score, I mean, to see
1: them like spill onto the field when Logarzo scored, like they, they for sure right. thought they had that game and that that's such a letdown. Yep. Um. All right. I think that's probably it as far as playoff teams go. And then I think, Maybe when we come back, we'll talk about the other teams um, who maybe aren't are in the playoff mix yet, but still obviously have the rest of the season left to play. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Equalizer podcast. It's time for our FBref.com Stat of the Week. As we discussed earlier, North Carolina had some big wins. It wasn't actually the biggest win in NWL history. There have been two 7-1 games. That was the Thorns versus FCKC in 2014 and the Western New York Flash versus the Boston Breakers, RIP, in 2016. And then, of course, we had the 6-0 game. Paul Riley was a winning coach in all three of those games, so he has a knack for big wins. But we can't always talk about the winners. We have to talk about the teams that maybe don't win as often. So Orlando, Houston, Washington all have new coaches. Sky Blue has done a set of variety of coaches, over the season, started out with Denise ready. Um, let her go earlier in the season. Had some interim coaches with goalkeeper coach Hugo Masito taking over. Now they have a new a new coach. Um, all of obviously all the new coaches are on the bottom of the table. John, do you think that's that's expected just because it, it takes time, or was any any that kind of surprised you with how they came out of the gate and then adapted to coaching in this league?
0: Um, I think you know honestly, I think it just depends on on which. Team We're talking about because I think we've seen kind of varying levels of success between those new coaches. And we've also seen different structural issues within teams like with Sky Blue. Not only have they changed their coach, but their front office seems to be doing a lot more, which seems to have improved morale and there seems to be some momentum there. So it's kind of I think we really got to talk about them one by one because they're unique situations in each market.
1: Yeah, and that's fair. So why don't we start with Washington? They are the highest ranked right now. And I, in my opinion, the biggest turnaround from last season and probably the biggest success story of any new coach so far, I think that Richie Burke, he drafted very well, and he's done done very well with the young team and gotten a lot out of them. They, they started out very strong, didn't quite finish as strong. But I, I kept saying on the podcast throughout the kind of the middle of the season that that with so many rookies on a team playing starting roles – that that was that was inevitable. That there, it's such a big jump from the college end that very few can sustain that sort of form over the course of a 24 game season. I think we we kind of saw them stumble a bit, uh, but to still be to go from being last place the last two seasons or or, or close to last place to still being in, in the hunt in sixth place, being in the playoff mix, I think is is quite the turnaround. Under also under a coach that frankly uh, some of us weren't unsure about. Didn't really have maybe the um, the resume that you would expect.
0: I a hundred percent agree. You know, when you see what Ashley hatch has done this year, when you see what Andy Sullivan has done this year, when you see, you know, you mentioned the rookies, you know, what um, you know, DiBiase has been able to bring and and some of these other players um, you know, Paige Nielsen. Um, And the other thing that's impressive when you watch them is that you can see, that they they have a style, that there's some cohesive um, method to what Burke is trying to get his team to do. Where I'm not sure you could say the same in any of the other three teams that had new coaches this year.
1: Yeah, that's a really that's actually a really good point and one I, I didn't really think about. Yeah, they're they're definitely dedicated to you know playing out of the back, playing very quickly. I'm glad you mentioned Andy Sullivan, though, because I think that her turnaround from what was just a tremendously disappointing first season to now has, has been really something to watch. I, I was sorely disappointed in how she played last year, especially coming coming out of college, playing with the national team. I thought she was going to slot right in and, and was, you know, an early season pick for Rookie of the Year and then just kind of fell off. But, you know, similar to Sky Blue, I think that the, the big co- big story there too is just morale a lot of these not the rookies but some of the other players were ones that were just so defeated last season they didn't even want to be on the pitch and that they're actually enjoying themselves again which has been a lot of fun to watch
0: yeah and Sullivan's been great you know they've really just kind of handed over the the keys of the midfield to her and just let her dictate play coming out of the back and then when you combine that with some rookies who are talented who've been given responsibility and who've stepped up to that responsibility, um, there's talent on this team. And that, listen, we're talking about a team that has performed most of the season without Rose Lavelle um, or, and without much of a contribution from, from Mallory Pugh. You know, this is what they've done this year has primarily been, you know, Hatch and DiBiase and Sullivan um, and Nielsen uh, and that group. And uh, and Bledsoe and, and so seeing what they could become, especially um, when they fully integrate some of those national team players as well, that that has the potential of being a, a special team, especially, I think, even even as early as next year.
1: Yeah, for sure. You go back to the end of 2016 when they lost in the final and then the sort of the, the rebuilding that occurred over the off season. Some of that was was due to other, you know, other factors and everyone just kind of was like, that's nuts. Like you had a really good team and you're taking it apart. And I don't know that this team today is, is what Jim Gabar envisioned at the time, but making some of those early moves, acquiring Mallory Pugh, you know, getting Roosevelt, things like that, setting themselves up to to get to this point, I think is maybe something we should go back and, and look at, you know, with it in hindsight is maybe not dismantling that team was maybe not the worst thing in the world, even if it, like I said, I'm sure it took longer and then ultimately cost Jim Gabar his job. Um, but talking about teams that maybe don't have as clear of a sense of play. What about Houston with James Clarkson? Um, I, I think that, uh, oh, go ahead.
0: Yeah. Well, that's, that's it. I mean, like I said, Burke's in my opinion, Burke's the only one who has imposed a style period. I think, I think Clarkson's probably been the second most successful of the new coaches. Um, but I, I, I don't think that's saying necessarily that much. I think, you know, I think his players like him. I think he at least comes off as competent. Um, I think they just lack the talent, especially in the back line, to really be a competitor this year. Like The amount of times that you watch their back line just completely fall apart in games, um, they just don't have enough talent on that team. So I don't think you can really get a good judge of his ability as a coach until you know, they, they pull in some more players. I really think they need to take one of their, I don't know if marquee's the the right word, but one of their better offensive players and see if they can parlay that into two or three uh, defensive players um, to kind of shore things up or or do something through the draft because they really need um, to liven up that back line and put themselves in a better position for next year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I agree. And then also, you know, he just wasn't getting the best out of players that, we're supposed to do really good this year, and obviously the big one that comes to mind is Sofia Huerta. Um, I did talk to someone in Houston um, for an extensive period of time earlier this week, or I guess rather that would be last week. It is Sunday, anyway. Um, and you know, they were, I was told that, that morale is much, much better in Houston than it was last season where there were a lot of things happening off the pitch that maybe people weren't aware of that uh, players aren't asking for trades anymore players aren't threatening to retire anymore. So for a long-term future, I think that's a good base. Um, I completely agree. I think that, you know, they have probably had three or four people at right back and never really settled on any. And ultimately I think probably Haley Hanson has done the best job and she's a defensive midfielder. Yeah, that's a problem. And then as, as, Dan always likes to say that you know, Amber Brooks shouldn't be the best center back.
0: Um, yeah. Well, she, she pair, was a holding but... midfielder too. So that's like, again, yeah. you know, we're still like last year when you looked at their back line, you had Daly on the back line and Mewis on the back line and Brooks on the back line. And, you know, it wasn't even
1: defenders. Yeah. And I have actually like Allie Price a lot. I think she's just done well for a young player who hasn't been playing consistently, but that's, she has a long way to go before she can lead a back line. So whether, you know, I'm, I'm not really, don't really necessarily think that Claire pokinghorn has been that great for them um, right. too. So I don't know if she's planning on coming back or, or not um, next season, but that that's something they need to keep an eye on. They do have, I think one draft pick. like they don't have many. Um, so it's a, uh, I guess it's all about discovery players, but I think if, if they can shore up the the defenders, maybe get more out of Sophie Schmidt or put Haley Hansen back as a defensive midfielder and then just take a finishing clinic, you know, that they have pieces to make. You know, they're, they're not going to be like a North Carolina Portland, but they have pieces to compete more than I think they have.
0: Well, I thought they were a playoff team heading into this year. I thought that when the World Cup break yeah, came along, a lot of people did, you know, they they have. Again, you mentioned they have talent, right? You, you've got Rachel Daly, you've got Huerta, you've got Ohai. um, they have Mewis. They had pieces there that you really thought, hey, when the top tier, when the, when the U.S. players are gone, when the Australians are gone, uh, when the Canadians are gone, that there's going to be this core that's going to be able to step up and really control the league, uh, and that obviously didn't happen. Now, credit to them. They are still technically in the race here with four games to play, um, which is certainly better than they've been in the past. But, um, you know, you're going back to my first point, like they have to figure out a way to maybe trade one of their one of their better players for more pieces. They've got to try to do swaps where they're bringing in two or three players for players that are leaving. And try to build up the depth of their roster a little bit to make themselves more competitive because they just don't have enough pieces right now um, to put together a full campaign.
1: Yeah. I want to ask you, Kalia Ojai, we're several seasons removed from her, you know, competing for the Golden Boot. We're over yeah. a season removed from her ACL. Do you think that, the, that her best years have passed her?
0: It would be hard to say no. Um, I I just, she is a player that I remember watching with the U twenties. And when the U twenties won the world cup, and I think it was 2012, I thought she was the best player on that team. And that was a team that had, uh, Julie Johnston, Crystal Dunn, Morgan, Bryan, Sam Mewis. And I thought Ohio was the best player. Then she comes back to North Carolina and they win a national championship. Um, I thought that she was going to be a marquee player in the league and that has not happened. And obviously she had a knee injury in there. Um, but this year you, again, you know, I think most of us thought that there was going to be a little bit more. Um, and, and, you know, listen, I talked to her before the season started and she, she her goal is still, or was still, to get back with the national team. And she said flat out, the only way I'm getting back in that team is if I score goals. Um, and obviously that hasn't happened. So part of that is probably that Houston is not playing particularly well. But um, yeah, you're right. I don't think you can look at, at the span of her career and think that you know she has performed probably at the level that most of us projected her this far into her career.
1: Yeah, and she's a player that I've kind of been wondering a number of things. One, if maybe going somewhere in the offseason would help her. Maybe, you know, Australia kind of get that goal-scoring form back, get the confidence back, get sort of, you know, goal-scoring seems to be such a, a streaky thing for so many players. This is if you can get in that habit, almost, that it does them well. And another is maybe a change of scenery. You know, I'm, I don't think she would probably want to leave Houston, but – I feel like there's something there that just hasn't as you said she hasn't she hasn't lived up to her her what we thought she was going to be as a young player and maybe that's not even there. maybe her ceiling is just not as high as, as we thought, but I'd kind of like to see what she would do in a different environment.
0: It's a possibility, but again, I think like her sister's in that market and her boyfriend's there, so you know again there's there's that's a big life change I think you're looking at,
1: yeah. Um, so Sky Blue, obviously hard to – you can't really talk about the coaching because they're new coaches. It's so very new, um, but it's on the field. They've obviously improved, right? They're, they've they've won four games and not one, so that's a, right. that's a good improvement. Um, things off the field, as you talked about, the, the front office has changed. They've made some improvements. The narrative around them is mm-hmm. probably the biggest change, and that can, can take a whole lot um, – I just don't know. I there are two two problems with them. One's that I just don't think they're talented enough to compete. They have a few, you know, Skrosky I think is is a solid role player. They've got Rocky Rodriguez, they've got Carly Lloyd, um, they've got Kawasumi who they don't really get much out of. Um, but overall they're they're just not quite talented enough. But I just don't see like I wanna know what is what is Sky Blue's identity and I don't ever see that from them.
0: I I agree. Um and you know you can do something with an increase in morale, and they have. You, as you mentioned, the narrative has has changed. and I, and I don't think it's just the narrative. Like I think there have been actual tangible improvements to the team, to the uh, the living situation for the players. Obviously, they played that game at Red Bull. Um, their general manager, Elise Lahou has spoken openly about looking for a change, a uh, venue next season. Um, I still think Carly Lloyd is playing very well, but they're another team that over the years, because players didn't want to play there, that every time they made a trade, they were losing value because they knew they were going to lose these players anyway. So they took what they could get. And so time after time after time, what was leaving the club in the trades was worth more than what was coming in. And between that or players retiring early or players heading overseas, I mean, obviously, they're, they're two, first, two of their first round draft picks never played for the team this year. Um, how much different is that team if they have Mace and Ashley? Um, how much different is that team if, if some of the players that left for Europe or retired early don't do that? And so they're another team that's got to figure out a way to expand their roster. They also had a couple of bad injuries in the preseason. They lost. They had a couple of season ending injuries um, before the season even kicked off. So they're another team that, you know, to be honest, what they've accomplished this year, considering everything that they've they've gone through, I think is pretty good. Um, And you can continue that momentum next year, but that's another team that's got to figure out a way to get some more talent in the door.
1: Yeah. And uh, speaking of talent, (laughs) Orlando, um, who is, I'd say on paper, probably the most talented of all four of these teams. I have not seen the best of them as a unit in several years. And I kind of have a little bit of, I don't know if I'd call it a hot take or whatnot, because I've seen some some discussion and, and some negative comments about Mark Skinner and I think that's, that's grossly unfair. I think that now that we've seen this team under Tom Cermani for several seasons, now that we've seen more or less the same team under Mark Skinner, I don't think it's the coach necessarily, or I don't think we can judge him quite just yet because these are just not getting production of these players. And some of them, you know, they go onto the national team and they do well or, you know, and then, so it's not that they're not capable of playing, and, and I do think we see bits and pieces of what he, he wants for them. I think they're another team who wants to play out of the back. I think he I would hazard a strong guess that they, they practice a lot of triangular passing format drills. Um, and he's obviously, he's also more towards the latter half of the season. I think really invested in his young players, and you can kind of see where he's going forward. And I, by the guess, I would think that that is someone who's going to be on the phone the instant he's able to get on the phone and start making trades and making discovery players and signing internationals. I think that he's, that we're going to see a ton of roster turnover and probably honestly deserved. Um, But I just, I I don't, you know, I've heard people say, you know, is, is he going to be there next season? I'm like, why not? I think that is dramatically unfair to not give someone a full off season to make the team their own and see what they can do at that point.
0: Well, I agree. Yeah, no, I agree that you can't, I don't think you can make a decision because there's just not enough Talent there, at least on the field, you know, I mean, if I think if Alex Morgan is completely healthy and playing games, there's a difference, obviously, Um, if you've got Marta regularly available, that's a different, you know, a different team. But um, I watched when when the lineup graphics popped up for the North Carolina game yesterday, I looked at their front four and I thought, who's going to do anything against North Carolina's back line? They just don't have enough talent. Um, and you, you just, this, this league, especially when you look at Portland and Chicago and North Carolina in the rain and Utah, those are five teams that are fairly deep rosters and have a lot of top tier talent. And Orlando, I think has a few of those top tier talents, but then not much underneath them. Like their middle third of their roster is non-existent. They go right from uh, world-class players to a lot of players you've never heard of and players that are just filling a roster spot and you're not going to win games in this league with a roster that's, that's built like that.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. And, and, you know, I think when talking about particularly Houston sky blue and Orlando here is how difficult it is really, to overhaul a roster. I mean, you can't just make one or two trades and all of a sudden you're a playoff team. Right. You know, when you don't have, again, you look at the prize roster and say, who are they going to trade off? You know, they're either going to keep their good players or they're going to trade them away. So what, you know, and sometimes you need to trade away a good player to to get a good player, one that's just a better fit or a position you need more. But I just, I look at the prize roster and I'm like, I see zero trade bait, zero.
0: Well, and look at like, Look at the way, and this kind of goes back to these being first-year coaches, but the the teams that have stability from year to year, where coaches can build a roster, it is markedly different from the teams at the bottom of the table, where they've had kind of this constant turnover between coaches, and and, and in some cases what seem like disinterested front offices. Obviously, you know Sky Blue's front office last year came under a lot of criticism. Um, Houston and Orlando's front offices have come under a lot of criticism. Um, same with Washington and, and there's a, there's an effect there that whether it's because players don't want to be there or coaches are making moves that they think might pay off right now. Whereas, you know, again, you watch a team like Chicago, sometimes they are trading one player for four or five draft picks down the line the next year or the year after that. Um, you know, last year when they made that, when they were part of that big move that got press to Utah, they picked up two number one picks in that exchange, as well as as bringing in Brooke Elby. And so, when you make plays like that, where you have you already have a good solid roster, now you can start thinking about the future and even building towards that. And I think when you see these teams at the bottom, and you mentioned this earlier not only do a lot of them have weaker rosters, but they don't have necessarily good draft picks coming up either. So what are you supposed to do? Like you've almost boxed yourself into this position where unless you're a a team like Washington, which had some first round draft picks and took advantage of them and got good players and implemented something, um, some of these teams are in a lot of trouble. And I agree with Orlando, they need almost a complete roster overhaul. I think there has to be a a heart to heart with the, the, with the top players and say, you know, do you want to be here? And if not, no hard feelings, but let's see what we can get for you uh, and move you on and get draft picks or some other players to help fill out the roster and see what's there because, you know, their games this week, I, I felt bad watching Ashlyn Harris this week. I mean, even though that Chicago game was one nothing, she had to make like five or six saves in that to keep it 0-0 as long as it was. And then she absolutely got pasted against North Carolina. Her defense isn't even tracking runners into the box half the time. It's really just kind of the whole team is kind of a shambles.
1: Yeah, and, you know, when we were talking about Washington, I talked about how long of a process it was to turn this team around. And then, you know, in, in Houston and Orlando, as you said, they box themselves in, it, and then you look at these coaches, and it's they're not even they're they're going off decisions that people before them have made. They weren't right. the ones who traded away their draft picks, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it'll be interesting to kind of see. I think this is you know we had a really quiet off season last year, and I think this is setting up for the complete opposite. <laughs> I think that this could could be really, which is good because it was. It's fun. Sometimes I wondered if the NWSL still, still existed last season, which is not something we want to wonder about, but. Um, I think that's all for for the end of sale. We'll come back and we'll um, talk about one very special player, and we'll get to your questions. We'll be right back. All right, welcome back to the Equalizer podcast. As I mentioned before, we do have one very special player to talk about, and that is Heather O'Reilly, very affectionately known as Heyo, who had not her last match, but played a a celebration match as North Carolina beat the Orlando Pride 6-1. She is on the very verge of, of, ending a, an extremely, extremely successful career. Um, John, I know you watched that whole match. So what was your, she got to start, which is nice. So what was your impression of her in her last match?
0: Well, it, you know, it was nice that she got a goal and it was a fantastic hit. Um, you know, a little interesting to see her play it right back, which, um, you know, obviously is not where, where she, played most of her career, which is part of also why her move to North Carolina was an interesting one, which I think was probably more for off the field reasons, but uh because North Carolina's the only team in the league that doesn't really play with any sort of wide attacking players, whether that's wingers or outside mids. Um but yeah it was a nice it was a nice celebration game. Nice to see her get a goal. Um she obviously hasn't played much this season. I think she had only played a little over a hundred minutes. Um, heading into last night's game, um, and, and then obviously gone over to France during the World Cup and, and done some commentary there, so um, hasn't been around the entire season. But uh, yeah, a nice moment.
1: Yeah, when I saw that starting lineup graphic and I saw she was a right back, which is mostly where she's played for North Carolina. Um, I was just like, well, it's kind of a shame that it's you know her big la- it's probably her last start of her career, and probably the last significant minutes she'll play. Um, It's kind of a shame not to see her in her traditional uh, right wing, but still good to see her get on the pit, on the pitch. And and I don't know, Hale was just one of my one of my all time favorite players. Watching her, I used to love, particularly that that period of time when it was her and Allie Krieger on the right. They had the right side, strong side thing. And I like seeing two players who have obvious chemistry and can play off of each other. And I thought they were two of those players. But Hale was just she's almost like an old school player, I think. And I think maybe mm-hmm. in some senses the game kind of passed her up. Um you know, moving, moving away from those traditional outside mids, you know, where they're just going to burn up and down the flank and, and send a cross in, uh, maybe looking for something a little bit more technical, but I don't think you could ever ask for anyone with a higher work rate than Heather right. Riley, which yeah. maybe makes her the perfect fit for North Carolina in the end.
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's funny too, because I remember around 2015, and I would agree with you, like you could tell that the more technical players were starting to pass her by and could, you know, people defenders uh, on opposing teams had kind of figured out like if, if as long as you don't let her push down the line for that right-footed cross, you could contain her. But there was a real effort on her part to to try and change her game and to become more dynamic. Um, and you saw that I thought particularly in 2015 at the club level. Um, you know, she started developing that left foot. She started becoming a little bit more dynamic. She had really push to extend her national team career a few more years. And I really thought maybe as, as early as like 2013, 2014, they might have made um, an effort to, to turn her into a right back. Cause I do think that as a project late in her career, that could have been a really interesting move. You know, we've seen, we've seen national team coaches do that with players like Brandy Chastain. We, we saw Ellis do it, or actually I think Pia started it with O'Hara. Um, that you can take attacking players and drop them in that sense, that wide sense to both get forward and mine your defensive responsibilities. I think O'Reilly would have fit really well into that type of a system. Um, you know, alas, that never happened. But, um, yeah, it was a nice night, and she's had a tremendous career. And I can tell you, you know, just the handful of times that I've covered her, the nicest person, pleasure to speak with um very generous with her time with fans with the media and um somebody that was was a lot of fun to cover
1: yeah she really is a nice person i think the only time she ever stops smiling is when her gang face is on yeah um so yeah the the, the game's losing a, a great one um so we do have uh, only a couple of questions today um as a reminder if y'all use the hashtag it's a little bit easier for us to find them But Craig Hadley said, do you think Orlando pride will give Mark Skinner the summer to rebuild or will he be gone after the season comes to a close? We have discussed that a little bit. um, Is that, I think it would be a mistake. And I think it would be unfair to can him after the season and not give him an opportunity to make a team his own. Um, John,
0: you know what I am curious about? I'm curious what the stars think of him, because I think that is a star driven team. And if, Harris and Krieger and Morgan and Marta are going to stick around. If I'm running the front office, I go talk to them first because you have to have a coach that the players are going to buy into. And it reminds me of something that Allie Krieger said during the preseason when she said that Mark Skinner was the best coach she'd ever had, which seemed terribly premature when she said it because he'd only been her coach for a few weeks and she's obviously had this, you know, very, very long career that's spanned multiple leagues and abroad and the national team. Um, so maybe she was just saying that to give him a boost of confidence heading into the season. But if she really believes that, um, then, yeah, you got to keep him around for another year and see if he can turn things around.
1: Yeah. and For me, I think really the the thing that can kill a coach more than anything is losing the locker room. You yep. know, we saw that with Sermani. You could see it on the pitch. You could you could hear it in, in their post game comments, both him and the players. When that's done, you're never going to get that back. And it was the same thing in Houston with Randy Waldrum. It's just they're not you're not going to get the best out of your players. They're not going to play for you. They're not going to be conducive to coaching adjustments. It's it's done after that. So yeah, I, I think it'd be interesting to ask her that same you know kind of right. ask her about that now um if you obviously i think she'd probably be diplomatic enough to not uh, (laughs) throw him under the bus but it would be interesting to see if we get you know to really know her honest thoughts And i think that's a really good point you made of the front office going and talking to them not necessarily that they should define what the team does but that is those are the players they have and it's you can't replace your entire team
0: right um
1: so good point um old man yells at ref hey you know what don't we all um, says Thorns lost to, to North Carolina. Season-defining or a blip in the series? Is PTFC's confidence shot now? Um, I wouldn't say their confidence is shot. In fact, I think that their next game, strictly because it's coming off of that big loss and they're going on, I think, 10 days rest because they had a bye this weekend. I, I would be surprised if they didn't just come out guns blazing. Um, Season-defining or a blip in the series? That's a little bit more... Intricate of a question. What do you think, John?
0: I think it's a blip. Um, I don't think you would see starting with Parsons um, and then players like Sinclair and Haran and Klingenberg and Heath and those, those, French, they're, those aren't the player those players aren't going to have some crisis of confidence. Um, they're going to be just fine. And um, now, again, as I said earlier, North Carolina can do this to anybody on their day. So, um, this isn't to take anything away from them, but I don't I don't see Portland having any confidence issues heading into the rest of the season.
1: No, I, I agree. I don't think confidence is issue. What I'm, I think will be interesting is if those two teams meet at some point in the playoffs, whether that's a semifinal somehow or if they meet in the final for the third time in a row. Um, I think that would be interesting for this to be their, their final meeting before that. Is really kind of kind of stage setting, and to see does it give North Carolina an extra boost of confidence, or does it set up sort of that revenge storyline? Um, that to me is the interesting part of that. All right, I think that's it. Any last comments on on the games we saw this last week, John?
0: Anything no, You haven't uh,
1: talked about or.
0: Um... You know the only well I mentioned earlier I I still think Lloyd's playing at a high level, Um, you know, and I took that away today. She had she had two real nice chances, got in behind Chicago's defense twice, Um, and then uh, I think at some point and maybe that doesn't have to be right now, but uh, we're gonna have to look at Morgan Bryan and the season that she's having because Chicago seems to have found the magic formula for getting and keeping her healthy which, uh, you know, I guess knock on wood for them, but that is something that people have not been successful at, whether that's the national team or Houston or Olympic Lyon. Um, and she's healthy and she's playing pretty well. And uh, that's been a big boost to their midfield.
1: She is playing very well. And I think that when, especially like right now, when you don't have Vanessa DiBernardo, when she's out to do an in- injury, I think that Morgan Brown becomes all that more important um, for what she can do playing a little bit higher up the pitch and sort of playing as, as a connection between um, those two boxes. And she also, we did mention this, scored her first ever NWSL yes. goal this weekend, which surprised me. I thought for sure she'd had some before, but maybe that's because she just scored for the national team recently. So look at her, little goal-scoring streak for her. <laughs> so go on, Morgan Brian. So. All right, well, thanks everyone for listening. It's been Chelsea Bush and John Halloran with the Equalizer Podcast.